Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning back in. This is the year two of the Turkey OG series, back by popular demand. And I'm very thankful to have, uh, it's weird to say again, for the second year in a row, that Mark Jury's my co-host for a Turkey OG series on DeerCast. Uh, thanks, Mark, for lining some of these up and, and making this happen the way that you have. So I'm, I'm happy to be here again. Man, I'm so happy to be doing this again because I get to talk to all of my heroes, Kurt. And the the first one this year is one of my all-time heroes. He's one of my favorite people in the whole interest, industry. We've got Harold Knight with us this year. And I, I can't can't tell you what Harold has meant to myself and Terry and uh, turkey hunters all around the country. Uh, they He and David started Night and Hell Game Calls back in 1972. They started doing it full-time in 1984. And I don't think you could find a, a turkey hunter or a deer hunter in the, in the country that wouldn't know the name Harold Knight of Night and Hell Game Calls, and it, it's just a real honor to have him have him on the podcast with us. So, Harold, welcome, sir. Listen, it is an honor to be on anything with Mark Drury. I don't oh. know that, <laughs> buddy. The honor is ours, Kurt. I'm a, I bet you, Harold. Have you ever heard the term OG? Yes. See, oh, okay, so you, you know what OG stands for in Original Gangster. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, well, you're, you're one of them, buddy. <laughs> I, lo- I love that, Harold, because when we did, first did this series and I was talking with Mark, I'm like, yeah, we could call it the Turkey OG series. And I think at one point, Mark, you're like, what does OG mean again? Just remind me. And I'm like, uh, it's, it's like it doesn't really apply to turkey hunting, but it's it's the the vibe of what the name is. People understand what we're talking about. So I just love it because I don't think anyone's done anything like this as far as like, you know, Turkey OG or deer hunter OG series or anything like that. So it's fun, but I, I love that he knows that. And Mark, we talked, my favorite thing about it is that you don't have zoom Harold. So we're just doing this through cell phone or landline. And that's probably the best thing about it. hundred (laughs) percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I understand. So Harold, tell us a little bit about, Back in the day, how did you and, and David decide to do Night and Hell Game Calls, or what, what was the, the inspiration behind that? Terry, uh, I mean, uh, Mark, we, what we did, uh, I guess the way we got started was through a magazine article. Uh, Dave Harbor, who was contributing editor of Sports and Loud, uh, Magazine back in the 19, in the 70s, and uh, I met uh, Dave in Land Between the Lakes. And uh, David Hale had a little tube call I made around his neck. And and Dave Harvard, which most all old turkey hunters knew, he was a, one of the most 
one of the best turkey riders I thought that ever wrote for wild turkey. And uh, he was very intrigued about this little tube call. And uh, he said, where can I get one? And David said, the man that I'm waiting for him to come out of the woods here. And I never came out of the woods that day. I stayed with him all day hunting. And uh, he came to see me after that afternoon, and I gave him one of these calls. And he killed a turkey with it the next day, which was one of three turkeys killed in the state of Kentucky that year. Now, you got to remember, this is back in 1971. Oh, wow. uh, So one of three turkeys in the entire state. That's correct. And, uh, you know, the state of Kentucky had their first season in 1960. And I was 16 years old, and I hunted that season and killed a turkey. And uh, it got to where we didn't, you know, just wasn't many turkeys. And that that was before the restoration program began. And uh, it just wasn't many turkeys. Mm -hmm. And uh, it uh, being, uh, Mark, being you have lots of pads from Missouri, Dave and I had a goal. We wanted to make enough money to go to Missouri turkey hunt. I'll be doggone. It's the exact same reason Terry and I started Drury Outdoors when we did. We just wanted to make enough money to go on some out-of-state turkey hunts. I, did, I never knew that about you, Harold, but that's, that's right. exactly and why we started. Yeah, that, we wanted to go to Missouri, and we finally made enough money after a few years, and we went to Missouri turkey hunting. And, it, and it, you know, I love Missouri turkey hunting just like you do. Uh, you know, the goblin turkeys and and old Missouri come through for Kentucky a lot, helping us with a restoration program. And we put them big old goblin Missouri turkeys in Kentucky with what few turkeys we had, and they exploded. And, uh, you know, the restoration program has been absolutely great for wild turkey. And uh, that was that was the way we got started was with Dave Harbor. And, uh, you know, the story now is we... You know, like you and Terry, y'all start, you could start all at once. You had to start a little at a time, and that's what we did. Uh, you had to, we didn't have any money. You know, money was back in those days pretty scarce. And uh, we had to do the, the best we could on advertising and and developing products and things like that. And, and that, when did- when do you feel like it really took off for you, Harold? Where it was well, like- it really took off, Mark, in the night in the in the middle eighties. Uh, we uh, came out with a deer call, and we were selling hundreds of thousands of them to, uh, deer calls in a short period of time. And then we had some products which uh, the fighting per was a multi million dollar deal uh, in sales and. And uh, we had some products uh, that really helped us along, uh, uh, some, like the old yellow uh, product, uh, the friction call we had, and things like that. That really helped. But the deer call, I would say, was the number one seller for us. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the double cluck goose, goose call was a good seller uh, for us. And we came out with one of the first short read goose calls, and it was on the market, and that that really helped a lot too. But you don't start a business just all at once; you have to grow into it. And that's what Dave and I did. We grew into it. We were selling several deer calls to Walmart, Bass Pro, and and the same people that you and Terry do business with. And uh, I tell you what, it grew and it grew. I tell you what, it snowballed. You know, it grew so fast. Uh, if you don't watch, you know, what you pray for, you get, can't handle it. And that's just about the way we were. But anyway, and and uh, going to the SHOT Show in Vegas, which you've been to many a time, we was there and we had two people to come in the late 90s that wanted to buy us. And I told them, both of them, we were not for sale. And one of them reminded me, said, everything's for sale. I said, I, you know, you got a point there, but you're going to have to come to Cadiz, Kentucky to talk about it. And and they did. And uh, we sold out, you know, in, in the late 90s. And uh, 
and uh, to a company in Birmingham, Alabama, are really from Fort Smith, Arkansas, but the owners live in Birmingham. They made fish bait, Radco, and they're still one of the biggest fish bait companies out there. But anyway, uh, that's that's basically how we got started, when we got started, and, and how we sold our company. That's like really the American dream is like build something from nothing and then to, to just to be able to do something like that. So I, that's really, really cool to hear. And that one thing I was curious was, you know, you said you uh, you killed that turkey in 1960 in Kentucky. And I, I was just wondering, you were 16 years old. Before that season opened, what was turkey hunting high on your radar? Is it something that you had thought about a lot prior to that season opening? Absolutely, because where I lived, I lived in land between the lakes. Uh, that's in the western part of Kentucky. That's between uh, the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River. And they made a national recreation out of it now. But that's where I was born and raised. And had wild turkeys there, they say, ever since man, you know, that they can remember. Mm-hmm. And where uh, and I, my where I live, joined the old Kentucky Woodland National Wildlife Refuge. And naturally, the turkeys uh, were hunted then illegally because they never had a season. And the old-timers, I would get around them and let them tell me about the stories. And uh, I'd ask them, I said, let me use your box call. Let me just yep on it once. And... Uh, and most of the old calls in, if you could afford one, was the old Gibson box call. And uh, not many people had that, but some of the old turkey hunters had that. And they turkey hunted, had been turkey hunting for years and years. And uh, I, I got in with some of them, and they taught me a lot of stuff. But, you know, after hunting all these years, 60-plus years, and hunting as many thousands of days as I have, I realize now that they didn't know that much, and I didn't know anything. <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, but they did manage to kill turkeys, and they did manage to let me uh, go with them and 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 talk to them, you know. And they teach me, you know. And I I was really really uh, on par about turkey hunting, when, and I was so glad when they had that first season. Man, alive! I can't wait. I can't believe we're going to have a turkey season. And uh, I can remember it like it's yesterday. I'm the only man living that killed a turkey that first year because I was young. But uh, it was 12 turkeys killed, and uh, that was in 1960. I'll be doggone. How about that for some roots, uh, Kurt? I mean, it shows you how far back Harold goes. And if you listen to his comment about, you know, they didn't know a lot about it and he knew less, well, if you look at a lot of the techniques in today's turkey hunting, Harold was one of the guys that discovered a lot of this stuff. And you can ask anyone that's ever walked the woods with Harold Knight, and the first thing they come out about him, number one, he's just the most incredible gentleman you ever meet. But number two, the next thing they're going to tell you is that man is absolute wicked death in the woods when it comes to turkeys. He's just <laughs> one of the best turkey hunters in our country because he's done it for so long. He understands the bird. He understands uh, what he needs to do to have them alive in terms of habitat improvement management, but he also understands how to hunt them and harvest wild turkeys. So, Harold, maybe through your experiences, have you seen the turkeys themselves change in, in the manner in which you have to hunt now versus call it the 70s, 80s, 90s? Like, have you seen any evolution and major changes, or, or are you just getting better through time? Or do you think the turkeys are changing right now? Oh, I definitely think the turkeys has changed. I think what has changed them too, Mark, is uh, pressure. You know, anytime you put pressure on a wild animal, uh, especially a wild turkey, you know, uh, he imprints that. And, buddy, I'm going to tell you something. You, I've always said you call me up a Jake and miss him, he's going to act like a three- or four-year-old the next time you fool with him. And uh, the same thing of a two-year-old gobbler, which that's what I like to hunt, a two-year and older, and uh, a mature gobbler. And, you know, it's amazed me how much smarter they get from one year to the next. But if you throw the pressure in on them, which is in lots of places you have to hunt now, public hunting areas especially, 
and even private places it puts lots of pressure on it. It, it changes the wild turkey. And I, I've experienced uh, getting to hunt all the species of turkeys that uh, the eastern wild turkey to me is the wildest. And some geographical areas in the United States is is the wildest. One of them is land between the lakes. You have one in Alabama that's extremely wild. I guess every state has places where they're wild, but the, them two that really come to mind with me, it's been, I mean, they are, they won't tolerate any kind of movement or nothing. Just from you know? density of human pressure, is that that's the main impact on them? It, it could be, and, and you know, another thing, too, you know, it, some of these turkeys are just different. Now, we have eastern wild turkey in uh, this part of the United States, but some of the species, some of the eastern wild turkey are even a little different. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just like Missouri, for example. That's a big old goblin turkey. He'll weigh 22 to 3, 4 pounds, sometimes 5, and you go to Alabama, you know, you get an 18, 20 pound gobbler. That's a big gobbler. He's a little different, you know. And uh, here in Kentucky, we have uh, turkeys been uh, brought in here through through the trapping system from Mississippi and and Missouri. And uh, you know, it it uh, gives a, a the breed of them is totally. You know, the one from Mississippi is totally different from the one they brought in from Missouri. The one from Mississippi and Alabama beard is real small, and Mark knows how thick that big old gobbler's beard is in Missouri and Iowa. You know, it's just different. But uh, I think pressure uh, really changes a lot of turkeys. I really do. I think pressure uh, makes them just a lot harder to hunt, and you have to change your technique. But folks, let me tell you something. It's been a lot of change in turkey hunting in just the last few years. There's so many techniques that's come out. It's changed turkey hunting uh, from decoys to blinds to cameras to take inventory with them. I can sit in my house now and tell you what time a gobbler is going to show up in a field. And, you know, it's just things like that uh, uh, that's uh, changed. You know, your shells, your guns, you know, it's, it's just a lot, a lot different than it used to be. And fanning. Uh, it's so many things that's changed over the years, and, and certainly it's probably changed the turkey, too. But one thing we do have that really helped a resource of the wild turkey has been plentiful the last few years. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. I think a lot of people have took that for granted. We can lose them as quick as we gain them. Mm-hmm. And we've got to take care of these turkeys. And Mark touched on something a while ago that I love to do is put food plots out. I love to put out stuff for the wild turkey and the deer. And it's part of my job, it's part of my duty to put out stuff like that and try to uh, help the wild turkey. I tell people I'm mad as the devil at them in April, but I love them all the rest of the time. I'm trying to help them. Yeah, and, I uh, love that. <laughs> I, love to, I love to see those little folks out there. And uh, and I just love to see the young turkeys and 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 try to get as many wild turkeys we can. Mm-hmm. And, you know that's why that's why I phrased that earlier that way because I think your your true turkey hunter, regardless if it's their first year or their you know sixty third year or whatever it is, how many seasons is this going to be for Harold? Sixty three or four or maybe yes, more? About sixty four years. Okay, sixty four. So whether it's their first year or their sixty fourth year. A true turkey hunter, and someone that's got it in their heart and in their soul and their passion, they're just as worried about keeping them alive and helping them as they are making one dead on April the 20th or whatever it is, just like Harold said there. Like, I think that's that's uh, an evolution you're seeing us go through right now as populations in some parts of the country are a little bit stressed. You're starting to see more and more people do things for habitat improvement, uh, nest predator control, predator control, food plots, everything they can to make sure that we've got turkeys for the next generation. Because Harold's right, easy come, easy go. I was talking to many people at the Federation this weekend, uh, people from Arkansas. Oh, we used to hear 5, 10, 15 turkeys a morning, and now there's not a turkey within three counties of me. You know, those types of stories. So mm. we've got to do our part to make sure that this fragile resource 
doesn't uh, doesn't vanish from the landscape. I heard the same thing, Mark, on different uh, uh, geographic areas in the country where they're down on turkeys. Even my own state of Kentucky here, we've got uh, areas that are down. And uh, they're trying to put a study on to see what the problem is. You know, uh, I really, they asked me, and I said, it could be a combination of a lot of things. You know, I'm a big-time believer in predator control. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm fixing to do now is start trapping coons and possums and coyotes and bobcats and and skunks. And uh, what what I do, the pelt has got no value to it now like it used to. And people don't trap them like they used to. What I do, I get a guy to come in and I say, I'm going to give you so much for a possum. I'm going to give you so much for that coon and coyote and bobcat if you'll catch them. And, and get them get them away because so many nest predators out there now. These old hens are having a tough time uh, making it 28 days before something breaks them up. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's the number one problem. I mean, I, I hear a lot of the different theories on what's going wrong, but to me, that is the number one problem: is, is predation and nest predation. And we're yeah. we're doing our best to control that on 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 my properties, and we've seen a, a dramatic increase in in uh poults and hatches and successful nesting just from doing that simple step right there like i mm-hmm. i think that's the number one problem out there in my opinion well, i agree 100 with you i think it's a big problem and we we don't have the coon hunters here like we used to in the state of kentucky and a lot of the other states here around mm-hmm. tennessee we just don't have them like we used to uh because the uh it's like bird hunting, quail hunting. We don't have the quail and the people to hunt them because we don't have them. But we got lots of coons, but I think the reason a lot of people hunted them back a few years ago was because they could sell the pelts and make some extra money. And they, there's no price at all on those now. It's it's way down. Harold, something I did want to ask you, you know, you, you were a pioneer of modern turkey hunting or just turkey hunting in general which is i love hearing like those stories of like when a season you know you didn't have a season the first year a season opened that's hard for me to even like wrap my head around experiencing you know i'm 32 so i've never had like a deer season or a turkey season be introduced you know what i mean it's always just kind of been around so maybe for maybe a little bit i could take it for granted in a way because i've never not had it if that makes sense but in the evolution of turkey hunting, is there certain things that you're not so fond of or that you're fond of? Because you've seen it from zero to what it is now. Like, is there certain stuff you could see us do without or something we need to do more of? Well, I think the bag limit on turkeys in some states is too many. Uh, I personally think the bag limit in Alabama of five turkeys is too many. Uh, and I think they've cut it down some. The state of Tennessee had four bag limit they cut it to two this year and uh another thing one of my pet peeves when i I take a lot of people with me turkey hunting i very seldom get to shoot turkeys anymore but uh, i usually take somebody every day of the season Uh, i try to take uh, some people that's never killed a turkey and i always tell them i said when two turkeys come up and you know it's nothing but three or four gobblers come up in the first of the hunting season and most of them are probably brothers. They're out of the same hatch. And uh, they'd be two-year-old and be strutting. And I said, I do not shoot and kill two turkeys at one shot. I do not like that at all. I said, shoot one turkey, wait till he gets to the side. I try to coach him. Now, you shoot that turkey when you're not shooting into a bunch of them. Because, uh, you know, uh, this is my hunting place, and I want some turkeys to hunt. Uh, the rest of the season you try to shoot them all the first day and which is against the law anyway in kentucky i shoot that one turkey and uh, that's what a lot of them do I, i've watched a lot of them i had some grandkids and i was proud of them they'd wait that turkey get off and then they'd shoot him and uh, i was real proud of that and uh, you know some other things too you know uh, i like to take uh, the youth and you know, see them, uh, and I think about you were talking about while going the first season, the first season I ever went to, and then taking somebody now, 
I used to hear one turkey gobble. I, that made my day. I'm talking about that, and it made my week. If I see a turkey track, oh, my gosh, here's a turkey. Look at this scratching here. Now, I tell you, we sort of spoil these kids a little bit. I take my grandkids or take these kids out here, and if they don't, they're not successful, they think they failed. I said, man, enjoy. That's what I like to tell them to do, enjoy hunting. Don't put the pressure on you to have to kill. Uh, enjoy it. Listen to turkeys gobble. Um, some of the most memorable turkey hunts I've had, I didn't kill anything, but enjoy it. And that's what I've learned to do right now and tell people to enjoy it. By golly, quit putting the pressure on they got to kill a turkey. I do love that. I think the Internet probably puts a lot of pressure on people so they can post it or whatever. Not everybody. Everybody's different, and some people don't care. But I think that's where a lot of unnecessary pressure comes where someone, like, maybe loses sight of enjoying it, even if they don't come home with anything. Absolutely. You know, uh, I enjoy, believe it or not, I love to hear the red bird and the whooper wheels in the spring of the year. If you don't like that, you're missing out on some things. I'm telling you. Those to me, I, I go to some states I go to, I don't hear no whippoorwills uh, or red birds. But, uh, but here in the eastern part of the United States, a lot of the places I hunt, you hear the whippoorwill and the, the red birds, and that's part of spring turkey hunting to me. Well, yeah, I agree so so wholeheartedly on that whippoorwill, man. I remember when I was a kid in uh, just starting out, I was probably – 13 or 14 on my first turkey hunts and Paul Sexar back in the day told me, he said, you listen to those whippoorwills and about the time they slow down and stop, that's about when the turkeys start gobbling. And I've never forgot that. And he was, he was dead right on that. You know? <laughs> that's You're right on target. It's yeah. one of those sounds of spring. You just don't, don't ever forget. Well, that's Harold, it. as you're talking about the pressure turkeys these days that we have, what are a few things that you do to a guy that's out there having a little trouble with them? What are some of the things that you're pulling out of your your uh, mind in terms of what am I going to do today to get this turkey in a, on a on a high pressured area with a bird that you feel like is pressured? What are some tricks of the trade for you? You know, Mark, I like to know what transition that turkey's in and what state I'm hunting. And you've hunted many different states where you might leave one state in one transition, go to another, and they're totally different. And know what transition these turkeys in will help you some, too, to what you do. In other words, you know the first of the season that you can get by with a lot of calling, a lot of power calling. And uh, and you can cut and uh, just really do a lot of power calling. And, it, and as that season progresses on, at the end of the season, it seems like my calling gets lower and softer, you know. And uh, they the used to be where I hunted some of these states that last part of the season when that old hen was setting, I'm not laying eggs, but setting, when she's actually setting for that 28 days, seemed like these turkeys got lonesome. It's easier to call up. But I've seen a change in that in the last few years because of hunting pressure. And and they're not as vocal, seems like, as they used to be. And still, I'm still, it's lots of turkeys. But they're still on that hen setting. They don't seem to be gobbling as crazy as they used to. So, but anyway, if I could tell somebody some tips, it'd be, you know, know what transition you're in and uh, and on your calling, and don't be afraid to master different type calls. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in uh, mouth calls and your tube calls and your glass calls. I like to use every one of them in a box call at times. And if I could use a trumpet call like some people like Mark put on prove them I, I, I'd, I'd use it that, that's one of the better sounds I've heard it's that little soft sound but a lot of times calling is 100% of it and a lot of times it's 0% it's your woodsmanship a lot of times it really helps you get that gobbler mm-hmm. and uh, so that that's the tip if I could tell too uh, a young hunter that have lots of them ask me uh, how to get started, you know, turkey. What do I need to do? If you show me a young hunter that's a good squirrel hunter, learn to squirrel hunt. That teaches him to slip around. It teaches him to uh, pick up sign. 
and uh, learn to listen and watch for squirrel in a tree and how to uh, shoot with his gun good and all that. It's just a good teacher to be a good turkey hunter. And uh, and I'm going to tell you, if I could tell one good tip for a turkey, somebody wants to be a better turkey hunter, I'd tell them this. You start year-round on learning all you can about a wild turkey, what he eats year-round, where he roosts year-round, where his range is year-round, and just following from the day he hatches till he gets to be a, a duck gobbler. And if you'll do that, and uh, I guarantee that's going to help you be a better hunter. Uh, you know, Why do they like to be around the rivers and creeks? Why do they like to roost over water? How many days do they sit on the nest? When do they, when do they start sitting in my area where I'm hunting? Learn all that, and uh, you'll just be a better turkey hunter. Boy, and that's those truer words have never been spoken. And I think sometimes that stuff gets overlooked. And I remember when I learned how to turkey hunt, I was learning from the likes of Harold Knight. I would go to sit in his seminars or Ben Lee or Ray I, learn from those guys that have been there mm-hmm. and get your hand every piece of literature you can. I think so many people um, try to take the get the quick way, the easy way out, and they read an Instagram post and they think they know everything they need to know about turkey hunting, or if they watch a uh, a video or a TV show, they think they've got it all. But in reality, it's almost like going to back in school, like you had textbooks where you learn from to become better at whatever subject you were in. I think turkey hunting is a lot like that. There's certain books that every turkey hunter should should read and reread because there's such good information out there. And some of these books date back to the, you know, the early 1900s. There was stuff written back then Absolutely. that is mind-blowing how good it was and how accurate it was. And if you're a student to the turkey and the hunting of the turkey, you're going to end up being a much better hunter the rest of your life. And Mark, I agree with That's correct, 100%. And Mark, you're responsible for putting out good turkey videos. And though we're very, y'all got some good stuff on your videos. And all that stuff now wasn't available when I first started. <laughs> and these kid, young kids now can go pick up these videos and look at them and learn what the wild turkey sounds like, not what somebody tells you it sounds like. And you, so many things that you can do now with videos and uh, and uh, on uh, YouTube and stuff that you couldn't do a few years ago. Yeah, too, to add on that, I learned a lot from videos growing up. And, and I think, too, it's like even reading books and watching videos, something to throw in on is like, you actually have to go and then apply what you learned in the field to like really learn it. And it just takes time. And that's the fun part of it is learning. Yeah. I, you know, when I started turkey hunting, I went to the people that was turkey hunting, had been turkey hunting, even though it wasn't no season. But I'd sit down and I couldn't wait to, uh, to they come home from work or go to talk to them and let them tell me. And, and you know, I caught that bug at an early age, and it's, it's had a hold of me ever since. And now then, if these young kids, I guarantee if you go and ask a veteran turkey hunter in your area where you live, would you help me in my calling? Would you help me learn how to turkey hunt? Every one of them would absolutely love to help you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the turkey hunter for you. That's Boy, he's right in that. And I, that. That's a great segue into a story that I want to share on this podcast. But when I was um, starting Mad Calls, of course, I'd been calling from the mid eighties and this, so I'm starting mad calls now in the, in the mid nineties. So a decade later, I decided to do mad. And of course I'd call every weekend in a lot of different parts of the country. And when you do that, you're around these same people every, every weekend for about two and a half, three months. All us callers were real tight. Harold being one of them, which at that point, Harold wasn't calling nearly as much anymore. He was judging in a lot of them, but I was around Harold a lot. Uh, and I was around Preston a lot and around Dick Kirby and, and around Will Primos and a lot of the guys that had calling companies. And when I started mad, I reached out to all these different companies. Kind of, it was, I was a little naive because I was about to go into business against these guys, but I viewed them all as my friends because I just felt friendly with them. Well, there was only two people that offered to help us when we started Mad Calls. One of them, well, three people, Harold and David helped me and Tad, and so did Will, or so did uh, Preston Pittman. 
those two literally sent this list of vendors, told us how to do this. Harold invited me down to the plant so I could see how stuff was made. I mean, that's what type of that's what type of camaraderie camaraderie we had. But none of the other companies offered that. So I wanted to share that story. It just goes to show you what a true, true, unbelievable gentleman Harold is and his partner David. I mean, they just took me in and, and showed me the whole factory, showed me how stuff was made, offered me vendor contacts. I mean, stuff that I couldn't have done in a month of Sundays if I'd had to done it on my own. So I'll never forget that. And I'm, I'm forever, <laughs> forever grateful for that. I was going to yeah. ask you, Mark, Mark how awkward Mark. it was. Uh, it wasn't because I assumed they would do it. But once I got a bunch of no's back, I realized how precious it was <laughs> that Preston and Harold did. And then, you know, through time, I've appreciated it even more, if that makes sense. So it's uh, like I said, I was a bit naive back then. I was probably about 29, 30 years old. And uh, I didn't I guess I didn't realize that I was asking for the secret, you know, recipe behind some of these calls and whatnot. And, and but they were nice enough to help me. Well, I've judged you, Mark, in the contest, and I've listened to you. You are a dang good caller, and I know good callers. I, I'm around. I've been around a lot of them. I've judged a lot of world contests, and grand nationals, and you are a good caller. And uh, and and I was going to uh, iterate on something too. Some of my best friends. It was some of my competition when I went to uh, in game call business. I love them. I'm not joking. I, I like all these guys. My gosh, uh, you take from Woodhaven to uh, Dick Kirby. Dick Kirby was a friend of mine. And all these people like Preston Pittman, Eddie Salter, just all these people like that there, I think the world of them. Uh, uh, you know, my gosh, uh, if you don't uh, listen, it's easy to run your competition down but i'm gonna tell you something we're a small industry we need to build each other up instead of running each other down and uh, that's that's been my uh, thought on all this for years well he he lived it i mean he he's not just saying it he did it for me and tad and i'll, I'll never forget it so it's, so harold if you if you've got a uh in your mind what's a mistake you see people make um while turkey hunting something that you could possibly tell uh, a new hunter or someone that's been hunting a little bit, what to avoid doing? Don't do this. Well, you know, I I see several things. I look back that I done when I was a young hunter, Mark, and one of them is is movement. Yep. You know, you know that a wild turkey can see so good, and he's not going to tolerate you moving. You're going to have to uh, hide, and you know enough to, uh, to blend in. And just don't move. And another thing is, know, know what transition these turkeys in. Well, how loud you going to call? You know, I think a lot of times we call a little too loud and too often. And, you know, a turkey can hear so much better than we think. And he can pinpoint you so much better than you think. And, and the most thing that I can tell people is patience. Buddy, have patience. And that will help you so much. Uh, is just knowing just when you sit there, sit there, and sit there till you can't sit there, and and, and, and you're gonna kill more turkeys. But now there's time you've got to be real aggressive. And, you know, I'm 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 trying to tell you you just can't sit there and sit there. You've got to be a face a real aggressive sometimes. And uh, and that's the reason you got to know what transition these turkeys in, and just how you need to hunt them. But my gosh, uh, you got lots of good stuff to use now. Calls are much better, Mark. You know that now. We didn't have any calls when I started hunting. Uh, very few. And uh, uh, now you got the shells better. You got guns better. And you got your uh, cameras are out there. You tell you what you take inventory for you. But uh, if I could tell somebody the movement is where I've messed up more than anything and not sitting there long enough. It's cool to hear that because it seems like it seems obvious when you say it, but I think people overlook a lot of that, like the little obvious stuff at times. Yeah. You know, blinds right now has helped people to make sit there because they won't get out of that blind. They sit there. I'm not a, I, I have to sit in a blind some with people 
and don't mind if when it's windy or raining or something like that, or you know where I have to around fields or something. But my my favorite way to hunt wild turkeys would be running and gunning. They call it is going to the turkey and getting as close to him as you can and calling him and setting up and and trying to outsmart him. And uh, Mark knows by filming turkeys, it's a different thing too. You know when you got that extra movement there. Uh, but uh, you know. The, we've learned how to uh, cover up and, and hide from these turkeys and and film them. So that, that and it, Mark certainly has, so they got some good stuff. I love it's, it. Uh, it. It's definitely a difference in how many are in on that particular turkey. You know, if it's you and one other person, that's great. But if there's four or five, sometimes it feel like it's the spectator sport. You get in the group situation where everybody wants to go because – Maybe people are tagged out or whatever it is, and you don't want to deny them that moment. So you got to figure out how to get several people hidden someday. I've been, I've been Harold, there. Yeah, Harold can relate to that. I sure can. The tough more you got, the tougher it is. <laughs> yeah, Harold, Harold, when you look back from that your first season in 1960 to now, just looking back on basically the industry you've helped pioneer and been a major part of, like. Did you ever think it would ever pan out the way that it did? No. You know, there's no way I could comprehend uh, what I what I would see and get to hunt and get to go over the years. Uh, uh, I'd be hunting in Montana, maybe, or Wyoming, uh, some of the western states, New Mexico, I hunted all of them. But, you know, I think about the first time I went there again. I said, I can't even imagine that this could come to this. And uh, I can I can tell you the first turkey I ever called up, I missed him by 50 foot. <laughs> I was scared to death. And if you know what a huckleberry bush is, and you got them in Missouri and some of the states, Kentucky and Tennessee and these hills, that old gobbler comes strutting through them huckleberry bushes, and I could hear his wings dragging and making that... And I didn't know what in the world was going on. And I had a double barrel shotgun and one barrel to shoot and one wouldn't. And I looked at the turkey one this way and shot the other way. I'm telling you what, and run every step of the way back to the house. I was scared to death. And, uh, <laughs> but in, anyway, that that probably, you know, just uh, set me on fire. I mean, it 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 just give me the give me that disease I call it where I wanted to go and turkey hunt every day. Yeah. I mean, it just set me on fire. And, of course, you know, I didn't know anything about turkey hunting then. I called that turkey up, showed you it don't take much to call one up, because I had a little bit of scratch call, an old man made me, and I put a little piece of chalk on it, and it made halfway a little hen call. And But, my gosh. I can remember that just I can now them's the kind of things I remember. It's lots of hunts, good hunts I've been on I can't remember. I've probably watched over fifteen hundred turkeys killed. And you know, I can't you know, you see so many good things you can't remember all of them. That's a good and, life uh, then. Anyway, uh, I've I've really I tell you what, I have really been blessed. The good Lord's blessed me with good health. And uh, and I, I tell you what, folks, I don't take it for granted. I want you to know that. Well, Herod, I was uh, going to ask you when you were talking about that, you know, like hearing that turkey drum, you're like, what in the world? I was going to ask you where your passion for turkey hunting like comes from, like what kept you in it so heavily? And I that might have been the answer right there, but I'll continue to ask that question anyway. Like what I, kept you I in can, it? I can tell you what kept me in it is I never could figure them out. I never felt like I won the game even though I killed and watched a lot of turkeys being killed. And, you know, to this day, I'll hunt this year if the good Lord's willing. They will humble me this year again. They've done it every year for 64 years. And, I, and I'm not, and I'm not, they're going to do it again this year if I go. Because I learn something every year. And I don't have all the answers. I got just a few of them. But, man, alive, there's so many variables out there in turkey hunting. I've always said I'd well, set up at night, a lot of times thinking in bed, writing my speech out what I'm going to do the next day. And every time I've done that, I changed my speech. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, you know, you get you just as so many things can happen and so many variables out there. And that's the reason I love it. Just right there is because I've never figured it totally out. That's cool, man. This is just, Harold, I can't tell you how, how I've been smiling this whole podcast, just listening to your words of wisdom. And it, it reminds me of why I've, I've always thought of you as one of the all-time greats, why I wanted you in this series with so many of, of my dear friends and my heroes. And I hope that it resonates with a lot of Kurt's listeners, because I do think Kurt's listeners are probably a, a younger group in, in a lot of ways, shape, or form. And it's nice for them to be able to connect to the the guys that were heroes of mine and helped teach me when I was growing up. And I, I think, Kurt, you can see through Harold's answers just what a wealth of knowledge he is and, and what an extreme representation he is for conservationists and hunters all, all across the country. Like, he uh, he's the grandfather, man. Yeah, I, well, I love hearing it, Harold. And, put, sorry, go ahead. I've, I've certainly got the age to, to, to be the old one, I can tell you that. But I'll tell you something about Mark and Terry, and I'm saying this from the, from the bottom of my heart. I, I know all the people in this industry, just about all of them. I've, I've had dealings with all of them. If you find two guys that's any nicer than them two, they've been so nice to me and David over the years. They, you know, they go out of the way to make sure uh, they talk, speak to us. And that, and that, I tell you what, they two fine gentlemen. I can tell you that. That's the reason they've been successful and going to continue to be successful. Well, that means the world to me. Thank you, and I'll, I'll extend that to Terry. And our feelings are the same. And Please tell David we love it. I certainly do that. Yeah, and Harold, for me, this has been a ton of fun. I love hearing, like, the old stories, you know, just a time that I couldn't even imagine, and I, I imagine most of our listeners will. I mean, we're shooting from 18 to 35 is, like, our major listening age group here, you know? So it's uh, it's cool for me to hear these old stories and just, like, the evolution of everything. I'm fascinated by it um, and just an industry that I'm just now getting the opportunity to work in. So it's cool getting to talk to someone who's, like, dedicated their life and pioneered you know, turkey hunting in general, what it is today, and the industry. So I appreciate your time more than you know. i tell you what, i I tell you all, I, I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to the turkey hunter. And, Kurt, I, I wish all the success in the world to your show and and Mark and invite me to do this. i I tell you what, I, I'm just uh, I'm indebted to you. Well, we appreciate you. I want to share another story about Harold that I just found out last week. And this, this will, I think, really sums up why he was ordained from birth to be a turkey man. I was talking to him about the other day about Taylor, and he said, how is Taylor? And I said, well, she's expecting. He said, when's she due? I said, April 21st. He said, well, if that baby's born on April 19th, I'm going to give that baby $100. And I said, is that your birthday, Harold? And he said, yes, it is. He said, anybody I meet that's born on April 19th, I gave him a $100 bill, and I said, man, from day one, you were a turkey man if you were born April the 19th, so <laughs> I got the that's biggest right. kick out of that. <laughs> well, uh, that's still gold, and I mean that too, Mark. Uh, that, uh, April 19th, I've hunted uh, many a day. I don't never remember, remember missing hunting on April the 19th since 1960. So um, uh, that's, that's, that is, I mean – central for for gobbling activity i mean you couldn't have a better day to have a birthday. absolutely <laughs> yeah I, I, at least i got a good excuse now to tell my wife i said this is my birthday i gotta go turkey on <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be that's awesome yeah i love it, it. Is. now harold you're probably gonna have a lot of like hey i heard you on the turkey og series my birthday is the 19th and you're gonna be handing out hundred dollar bills it's gonna be a problem for you <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> I tell you what, I, I I'm I'm all for them. I I'll give some of them away. I've given several hundred dollars away to, to people like that, and I'm glad to do it. Now I told that story at the NWTF convention a few times, and Ernie Calandrelli was born on the twenty first, so he's right in there as well. I don't know if right you know. in there. I saw Ernie at the show. I'm telling again, going to the National Wild Turkey Convention, Mark. I think I've been to every one of. Them. I went to night in nineteen uh, fifty year ago. I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and that's where it was held. How and about I, 
I've been to think just, I don't know if I missed one. I, I'm trying to think, you know, and I don't remember missing one. And You'd have to be one of very few people that could say that, perhaps yeah, two I, or three. Yes. Yeah. I tell you, I, I, I enjoy it's a homecoming. Somebody asked me, what do, you, what do you like about this convention? It's a homecoming. I get to see mm-hmm. all my friends, old friends, and meet a lot of new friends. It's a, it's like a family reunion. You're exactly right. That's why I go there to see everybody. And goodness gracious, every night you t- look up at your watch and it's midnight or one o'clock. You don't know how the day went so fast, but you're seeing <laughs> so many of your friends. It's, it's unreal. Just, uh, I was talking to Jeff Probst this morning. He couldn't be there this year, and he told me to tell you hello. He said, Harold, well, I, I didn't see Jeff. I usually see Jeff, and uh, he's one another good guy. I like all them people like Jeff. He's a good call maker. Yes, he is. It sounds like guy. I need to go next year, Mark. Mark's hounded me to go every year, and I couldn't make it this year, but I'm going to go ahead and just box it out now. If, it, if it's better not, go, brother. If it's not the best, most friendly outdoor show in the country i don't know what is there is not a better show than the national wild turkey federation's annual convention it, it, it is the it best just, it does my heart so much good to see all the young people there too a hundred percent it's awesome I'm kids there and uh and I, not only not only that and harold will attest to this like if you're a turkey hunter and you're seeking to perhaps start hunting other states you go to that convention and start talking around. All of a sudden, you're going to get invites from everybody you can imagine. Well, come, let's trade a hunt. Let's go here. Let's go there. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> turkey hunters are nice. They'll invite you to hunt. And I, I'd bet money Harold's been to places from invitations he's had at that convention. Absolutely have. I have. Yep. I saw a guy, a guy came back from Nebraska uh, and for, uh, two years ago. Michael Waddell and David and I went up and hunted with him. And, uh, he come by, and it's just good to see them people see and tell me how their turkeys are doing. Is it better or worse, you know? And that's what I like to talk to them about. Is you resource your turkeys good? You have a good hatch? And, you know, I love to talk uh, turkey with people. And and we certainly had a crowd there. I don't know how many thousands was there, but, my gosh, I, I couldn't believe how many turkey hunters it is in the United States. There's a, there's a bunch, man. It was well over 60,000, I think I heard. And wow. That brings up a good point. If somebody's inviting you turkey, my first question to them is, how was last season? Were you seeing a lot of jakes? And I always pay attention to that. They say, oh, yeah, there were jakes everywhere last year. That means you're probably going into a lot of two-year-olds, you know. Mm. You, old Mark knows, see. Heard old Mark knows how to uh, keep up with them jakes because he knows they're going to be gobblers next year to <laughs> turn the woods up. 100%. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I need to get out to that show next year, Mark. We just need to do the just do a ten foot booth for the Turkey OG series and just use it as a spot to record and catch up with people and make it a podcast. Dude, you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine how many you'd get out of that that show. It's just mm-hmm. it's a show there ever was. You could really do good there. I'm telling you. And <laughs> part of it is the magic of Opryland Hotel as well because that's where it's held in that convention center. And Opryland's just a it's like going home you know it's just an amazing uh structure to go see if you've never been there i'd highly recommend going going to that show next year you know opera land hotel is one of the very few places that can handle this convention and handle it right they've got all the resources there to do it with just like i left the floor here the day thousands of people walking the floor and went to the calling contest and you couldn't put another person in the room, and I don't know how many, there's probably a thousand or two people in there, and uh, upstairs in a room. And for the, it was just, it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And how about the quality of the callers these days? That's something, another that, tip that we could offer you. If you go on YouTube or go to the National Wild Turkey Federation's page on Facebook, they've got the calling competitions all posted so you could go to the grand national open championship finals and listen to the best callers in the world and you you'll learn the rhythms and the sounds and there's guys up there on stage right now that that absolutely would out call a live hen that matt van size and those guys are unreal how accurate they are with their calling i tell you what it amazed me i mean it's uh, you exactly right live hen couldn't win that contest because she'd make a mistake <laughs> yeah she would there ain't no doubt. Yeah. 
That's awesome. That's cool to to word it that way too. Actually, well, I went to uh, I went up to so many things to see there. You know, you can see so many things. One thing I miss that I didn't see, and my son brought it to my attention: the display they had of Dave Harbor and some of the people that started the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, Tom Rogers, Jerry Allen, and some of those people that really started this organization. And I and I was a charter member of it. I remember that. Uh, I, I I didn't get to see that, and I, I missed out on that. I did not. I did not see that. But I I uh, I read about. They called him Colonel Dave, did they not? Yes, he did. Yeah, he's the one that started me in business. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that, that's. I read about him in Jim Cassidy's book. Uh, I don't know if you've read that book, but um, I'm trying. It's uh, Hunting with the Legends or Legends Remembered, but it's it's a tremendous book. But I I read about Colonel Dave in that book. Well, he is one turkey hunting dude, and I got to tell you, hey, you know everybody will tell you about if if I die, I'd like to die tagging a turkey. I'd like to die uh, holding a big deer. Up. That I just shot or else. Dave Harbor died tagging a turkey. No kidding. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And that that was pretty unique. I've hunted with Dave lots of times and he was one he he wasn't a good caller, but he was a dang good hunter. And I'll take that good hunting over any good caller. And that's what he was. He was he had that woodsmanship and knew how to act around a turkey. And he killed him. I remembered the name of that book. It's called Remembering the Greats by Jim Cassidy, and he's one of them in there. And it's just a phenomenal book. If you like history at all, it's it's uh, probably the best book I've written about wild turkeys, or, or not written but read. It's unbelievable. So Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to hunt with Jim just like you have, Cassidy. Uh, and he's a he's – a, he was a uh, – is he still living? He is. I called his – phone the other day I, I i thought he was i called it it's a landline he doesn't do cell phones and buddy it was like 20 years ago when i called him he answered he goes jim cassidy and i said oh, how are you doing jim <laughs> you ought to call him harold it was a great conversation to visit with him he's I, sharp as he can be. one of the most memorable turkey hunts i went on one time was with him and i was hunting uh, i run into a show some game wardens from indiana it was helping me uh we filmed and Jim was going to be on the show, and we uh, called these turkeys up, and I let Jim and the cameraman stay at the place, and we sort of got behind them. What I did with the game warden, and Jim shot, and uh, you know you allowed one turkey in the state of Indiana, and these two game wardens, and when Jim shot, turkey gobbled at him, and he shot again. I said the game warden said, "What is he doing?" I said, "Well, he's killing two turkeys." <laughs> and they like to come apart. Of course, what he did, he missed that turkey and killed him the second shot. <laughs> but, but I had a defense, he done shot two turkeys. But uh, that was a remember hunt I can remember. When you said his name, I can remember back some of the hunts we went on. Yep, Jim was one of the most prolific turkey writers out there, previous editor of, of Turkey Hunter magazine, and just uh, one of the good guys. I, I'll share a quick story about Jim that Harold's going to get a kick out of. Me and Steve Stoltz were hunting with, with Jim, and I, I think we were we were in Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, and Jim always ran a wing bone. Well, Jim would have uh, almost a wind-up like a pitcher would to get that wing bone in the right position and then finally get it to his mouth. So you always knew he was going to call about three or four seconds before he called. So Stevie and I were behind him. And Jim, with if you were hunting with Jim, he was going to call. Whether you were with the world championship caller or whatever, if he's with Harold Knight, he's going to call. If he's with Don Ship, he's going to call. If he's with Preston Pittman, he's going to call, right? So he's out in front of me and Stevie. And Steve and I would alternate back and forth. Like Jim wanted to put that wing bone up to his mouth, and he'd go through his wind-up and get his arms kind of moving, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's at his lips. And about the time he'd touch his lips, one of the two of us would call, and then we'd kind of turn away like we were looking for one to call and we or for one to gobble back. And we did that, I'll bet you, five minutes and never let, <laughs> never would let that man call. And he finally turned around and he goes, you two SOBs, he started yelling at us. 
Oh, we stood there and laughed in that road. Um, my goodness, did we laugh. He was so mad because we wouldn't let go. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Mark, I pulled up that book online. Uh, Sporting Classic Store has it in stock. Um, they got 12 of them left. Yep, that's Jim. That's him. Yeah, it's the uh, yep, Remembering man. the Greats Profiles of Turkey Hunting's Old Masters. Yeah, you could call Jim directly and buy it, and uh, I'll just give you his number because he, he sells them right there out of his out of his house. And, Harold, I sent you his his uh, contact information. All but right. the, his number, if like, you want to buy it from Jim directly, is 803-329-4354. That's awesome. Yep. Yes, he, and he's a, he is a world-class gentleman like Harold. He's oh, awesome. Oh, my gosh, he is. He'd probably sign it, too, if anybody wanted to call that and buy one, don't you think? He, he signs them all. See, yep. that's awesome. That's very cool. I love it. Those old stories, to me, are like my favorite thing about just talking with, you know, the quote-unquote OGs of hunting. I like just hearing the just the stuff that you just don't normally hear or get to tap into with people a lot of the times is just like the start of things and old, just random hunting stories. I, I enjoyed that the most. I'll, I'll tell you another one, and I don't remember the exact uh, joke, but David Hale and Harold and myself and Chuck Jones and Tad, and there was a bunch of us sitting in a hotel room. I believe it was a rainy day in Warsaw, Missouri, and, and David told a joke to me, and he had me hook, line, and sinker about a dog that ran out of gas, and I'm sure Harold can remember that one. Well, I mean, for 25 years, every time David saw me, he goes, hey, hey, Drury, have that dog run out of gas yet? <laughs> God, dog, did he have me hook, line, and sinker, though. And that that joke went on and on, and I fell for the punchline. He got me. I, but, boy, I'll never forget that until the day I die. I, I saw Tad Brown at the turkey convention. I asked him, had he run out of gas? Yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we've been blessed, Carol. We've been blessed. Oh, we have. We've been we really have, Mark. I tell you what, don't take it for granted uh, that uh, when you get my age, that he's got to give you another turkey season. I take, I really cherish him. I tell you that, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this turkey season. I've already got a lot of people lined up to take. Uh, I try to take somebody that's never turkey hunted or killed a turkey, and that's always one of my goals. I try to get somebody each year to kill his first turkey. And uh, it, it's not about me. It's about trying to get somebody to kill the first turkey or enjoy starting in the sport of turkey hunting. My gosh, what a, what a sport. That's all I can say. Hey, man, it's so many pleasures. You can't talk about turkey hunting without without smiling. Rob, Rob Keck came in and hunted with me last spring in Iowa. And, my goodness, we couldn't, there wasn't enough time in the day to sit and talk about turkey hunting and the history and, people and all that rob had done and he was on this series as well part of this og series but it you just when you get around other turkey hunters there's no no lack of conversation i'll say that it was one of the most awesome hunts i ever had just sitting there talking to rob about the history and how he got into it and everything and mm-hmm. it, it, like harold said once you catch that fever you just you can't get rid of it oh rob was fun going? too harold he he gave me he had me wondering whether or not I should interview him or not right off the rip. He started messing with me, and him and Mark kind of, like, conned against me. Remember that, Mark? Oh, yeah. And he's like, who are you, and how long is this going to take? And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to be tough to talk to. Well, then he's like, I'm just messing with you, Kurt. He kept calling me. Oh, what was Kirk. it? Kirk. Kirk? Yeah. And who are you? And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be tough. I was already intimidated, you know. <laughs> I'm I glad he did it. Rob, Rob Rob Kick is a good hunter and a hard hunter. Yes, he is. A serious hunter. He really is. And he's uh, he's good at it. You can tell he's worked about thousands of turkeys. Boy, oh, I just yeah. sat back and listened and enjoyed it. It was it was awesome for me. I got to, I got to talk to his wife Susan and some of his grandkids at the convention and Rob and. Uh, He's got five grandkids. I thought that's pretty good. I said, man, that changes your whole life on hunting when you get these grandkids. Oh, boy, big time. I'm I'm anxious to have my first one. Can't yeah. wait. April's a good month because turkey season's in, 
and baseball starts. That's another thing Harold and I have in common. We're both huge St. Louis Cardinals fans, so every time we see each other, we talk more about uh, baseball than we do hunting, actually. That's like uh, <laughs> when I get uh, you exactly right. When Mark and Terry get together, we get together, we talk about uh, the St. Louis Cardinal baseball. But, you know, Mr. Fox, i got to mention Mr. Fox from all show. He's one of the guys I dearly love. And he came to the convention when he did. Toxie was come get me. He said, Daddy wants to talk to you. Everybody thought we was talking about turkey hunting. We never mentioned turkey hunting. We were talking about Mississippi State baseball and squirrel hunting. And <laughs> because that's what he likes, you know. Of course, he likes turkey hunt too. And he's a, he's a dang good turkey hunter. But that's what we talk about. That's awesome. God bless. God bless. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you, your time, Harold. I think this was awesome. I love I love this series. I had to learn so much, and it's an honor to sit between Mark and these legends of turkey hunting. So I'm just glad that I can be a part of this in what little way I can. I'm I'm the the green rookie at all of this right here. And, and there's probably some people listening like, "What's that guy doing?" <laughs> I don't I don't deserve to be in the conversation sometimes, you know. Well, you've well, done we a good. You did a great job asking questions and a good listener, and, uh, and that's part of it. And I tell you what, I want to leave people with this: I don't have all the answers. I can tell you, them suckers humble me every year, and I hope they humble me again this year. I really do, because that, that means I'm gonna get out there and get with them, and uh, and I just hope that they make me. Sit down and say, now, what do I need to do next to get a turkey in range? And that's part of turkey hunting. Yes, it is. God bless you, Harold Knight. We appreciate you taking the time. Give our best to David. We appreciate uh, you and love you, brother. Thank you. All right. I thank you all for letting me be a part of this. I appreciate that. Of course, Harold. Of course. And I'm looking forward to meet you. I'll be at the turkey show next year, and we'll finally get to shake right, hands. Well, and uh, yes. that's going to be a good time. And thank you, everyone, for for listening to this series. Hope you enjoyed the first installment of uh, the Turkey OG series this year. Uh, we got a handful of great episodes coming. So hope you keep enjoying them and uh, getting fired up for turkey season coming in hot. So thank you, everyone, so much. I can't remember what I closed with last year. Go kill a long, a long beard or something, Mark. But normally I say go shoot a giant. I think you just say go kill your gobbler. That'd be great. We'll just go with that. Go kill your gobbler. Thanks for tuning in. 